Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Macabre History. My name is Rebecca. I'm joined today by Justice. Justice, say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> we also have a surprise guest with us here today. We have Chris and Tiffany from High Seas Cruising on to discuss the history of the RMS Queen Mary. High Seas Cruising, do you guys want to tell us a little bit about yourselves, where we can find you on social media, stuff like that? Go ahead. <laughs> so we're High Seas Cruising. We are a cruising vlog, I guess. We do cruising news, uh, cruising videos, ship tours. We are found on Facebook, YouTube, where else? You guys have an Instagram, yeah. I think, yes. right? Yeah, don't actually ever use it. <laughs> and TikTok. <laughs> Yes. All right. And just in case I slip up and uh, like say dad at any point, spoiler alert, uh, Chris of High Seas Cruising is in fact my father. <laughs> so. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the construction of the ship. Um, so the construction of the ship starts in the late 1920s with the Cunard Line. So the Cunard Line is a shipping line company based out of England. I know they did stuff with like steam engines prior to that. In the late 1920s, they were starting to get a little worried because their ships were getting old and their competition was doing super good. So the Germans, the Italians, the French ships, they were just building better, faster ships. And uh, the Cunard Line was having some trouble keeping up with them. So their solution was to build the Queen Mary. Um, And the Queen Mary is, of course, the ship that we are discussing today. But in the very beginning, it wasn't named the Queen Mary yet. It was just Ship 534. Later, it would become known as the Queen Mary. And actually, I don't think it was Ship 534. I want to say it was Hull 534 at first when they were building it. Right, yeah. At first, when but, they say the keel is just the hull. So it's Hull 534, Project 534. Hull 534. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so the construction on the ship began in December of 1930. But uh, like we've discussed in literally every episode so far, the 30s brought the Great Depression. So business was really slow for the Cunard line, and they just didn't have the money to keep building the ship. So in December of 1931, the work was just halted. Um, The ship was this big symbol in Britain, though, so much so that a member of the British Parliament, David Kirkwood, said, as long as 534 lies like a skeleton in my constituency, so long will the depression last in this country. To me, it seems to shout failure, failure to the whole of Britain. So it was this really big symbol because it was this huge brand new ship. It was supposed to bring all this economy and things like that. So everyone was really bummed that it was just sitting there. And the British government actually made a deal with the Cunard Line. So they loaned them the money to finish 534 and also gave them money to build a second ship, which would later be the Queen Elizabeth, on the condition that the Cunard Line would merge with White Star Line to form the Cunard White Star Line. You might recognize the name White Star Line, uh, so it shouldn't surprise you that at this time, the company was also struggling. They had faced some recent loss, including the incredibly famous loss of the Titanic in 1912, and their Britannic ship also sunk in 1916. So they were not only struggling from the Great Depression, but they had faced some pretty significant loss recently. Um, The White Star Line was also given money from the British government for a big ship. Theirs would be the Oceanic. So the Cunard White Star Line was formed in May of 1934. The White Star contributed 10 ships and Cunard contributed 15. 
But uh, interestingly, because 534 was such a huge, promising project, and because Cunard was the one bringing them into the deal, they ended up owning 62% of the Cunard White Star line, and White Star only got 38%. Um, And I thought it was interesting, I didn't know until I was doing research, that Cunard owned the, or part of their fleet was the... um, is it Carpathia? The Carpathia, the one yeah. that came that came to the Titanic's rescue. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Cunard had already like saved White Star. <laughs> well, I guess they didn't save it, but they came, you know, to the rescue. It's it's kind of close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that that the the two lines were like pretty intertwined even before that. So in April of 1934, which is over two years since the work had been halted on the ship. The construction triumphantly resumed on 534, and on September 26th of 1934, ship 534 was launched. This was a task in itself because the ship was heavy. We'll talk about it later, but the ship was humongous. At one point in time, it was the biggest ship in the world. So the bare hull alone weighed over 35,500 tons. They had to slide it down greased runners into the Clyde River, and the Clyde River had to be widened and dredged for the ship to even fit in it. Um, then they ha- the ship had to be stopped because it was slid down. They had to use almost 3,000 tons of chains to stop it, and even using all those chains, the stopping, it still took 1,200 feet to stop. Um, obviously, high seas cruising, you guys know more about cruise ships, but that seems like a lot I don't know. Do you guys? Do you happen to know like what the stopping power of a cruise ship is now? Like for comparison, when you talk about like when they when they take them out of dry dock, yeah, they're actually built now. Though they're 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 built in a dry dock, so when the the hull is complete and they're ready to float the ship, which is the first time it touches mm-hmm. water, they essentially fill it up. Then they just open the doors and pull it out. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, today it's a whole lot different. But you know what's funny is when they put it in the Clyde River. The first time, and they pulled it down. Not only that, she was so big and so heavy, she actually went aground a, a twice. Yeah, I I read that that it, it, they had to pull it out, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, and they had dredged the river ahead of time, and they had pretty much left all of her lifeboats off and everything they possibly could for weight. And but she was so big and so heavy that yeah, she grounded herself twice. It's really hard. Even later, when I was trying to. describe how big the ship was it's so hard to describe that this ship was humongous um the launching itself was also huge there was 200,000 people in attendance including king george v and his wife queen mary who the ship would be named after but there's a little bit of a funny story with it so allegedly this is all like kind of speculation but the ship was supposed to be named the victoria because the Cunard ships, they previously, before they merged with White Line, they ended all of their ship names in IA, and the White Star Line ended all of their ships in IC, like the Titanic and the Britannic. So the thought is that they were supposed to name it Victoria, and then when Cunard asked King George to name the ship after England's greatest queen, King George was like, oh my gosh, thanks, my wife would love that. And so they were kind of like, well... <laughs> Queen Mary it is. Awkward. <laughs> but it could also be that maybe they were trying something new because they had merged. And either way, that's, that's like a funny little antidote. 
So the ship 534 or hull 534 was officially dubbed the RMS Queen Mary. RMS stands for Royal Mail Ship. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Again, high seas cruising, you have all the crews knowledge. Is there a reason that they called it the Royal Mail Ship if it was doing more than transport and mail? I thought it was her Royal Majesty ship, to be honest with you. So actually, yeah, that, that's new to me. <laughs> I thought it was too, but it's it's Royal <clears throat> Mail Ship. Which is... So I know for... Oh, you go. You're way smarter. Uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I didn't know it was Royal Mail Ship either. <laughs> I just find that interesting because ships have, you know, commonly throughout history always had a feminine name to them. It's usually her. Yep. Is how mm-hmm. ships are referred to. Even nowadays where they don't necessarily name ships with name, you know, female names like Victoria and things like that, their ships are still referred to as she. She. Yeah. So I, I know find- for Titanic, it was called RMS because it did have a specific mail room. And that was what dictated if it was a royal mail ship or not, was if it had a mail room. Because it's considered like luxurious. That's what I read from Titanic. Oh. I don't know if it's like the same carried on, but I know that's why ti- like in order to be an RMS, you had to have a mailroom because you were then considered carrying like important information mail. across these. Oh, across see, these. when she said mail, I thought you meant like male female. You're talking male like oh. a letter came <laughs> to my like house. <laughs> okay. Now that makes all right. That's why I said the whole stuff about being a she. I thought we were talking <laughs> Wow, see, I thought you not necessarily the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> um, I, that could be it because there was a mail room and like a telegraph room and yep. things like that. So that's very curious. We'll find out. We'll add it in. <laughs> um, so the cost of the Queen Mary was also absurd. It cost, construction cost 3.5 million pounds sterling, which is equivalent to, at that time, 17.5 million. So in today's money, that's almost $400 million. Um, and it makes sense when you consider that the ship, like I mentioned, was freaking humongous. At the, one point, it was one of the largest ships in the world, if not the largest ship in the world. Um, it's over 1,000 feet long, 181 feet tall. It had a capacity for over 2,000 passengers and 1,100 crew members. So just kind of for perspective, it's 300 feet longer than the Titanic, which was huge. So the ship could travel at 28.5 knots, which is about 32 miles per hour. And it was propelled by 24 Yarrow boilers and four sets of steam turbines. Is big, and it needed a lot to... <laughs> power it um so the ship was absolutely monstrous in size but the real charm was on the inside of the ship so the ship had 12 decks the lower decks were for crew use only of course and the rest of the ship was divided into three classes the first or cabin class cabins were near the middle of the ship the third class cabins were near the bow and the second class cabins were near the stern So the largest room on the ship was the first class restaurant, which was 143 feet long and 118 feet wide. So the restaurant spanned the entire width of the ship. Um, The amenities on the ship were endless. They had, it had everything. It had multiple indoor swimming pools. There was children's nurseries for every class level, beauty salons, barber shops, music halls, tennis courts. There were dog kennels, smoking rooms, gyms, libraries, cinemas, tennis courts, squash courts, 
Um, it was also the first ocean liner to have a Jewish prayer room on it. The ship was decorated beautifully. Of course, it's kind of like if you guys have ever seen the Titanic, the third class. Amenities are not as luxurious, but the first class cabins and stuff all were decorated in like art deco style. So very 20s, very great Gatsby. Yeah. And the art that was commissioned for the ship was super lavish. Um and it was commissioned specifically for the ship by artists that were popular at the time. So they really like spent their money on making it a luxury experience, especially for the first class passengers. Um, in March of 1936, the Queen Mary did a test sail from the John Brown shipyard to the Garak, to Garak, Scotland. It then completed several speed trials before in May of 1936, it was officially completed and handed over to the Cunard White Star Line from the shipyard. Now, High Seas Cruising, do you guys want to tell us about the Queen Mary's maiden voyage and like the different roles she's played throughout history? Sure. Um, so her actual maiden voyage was May 27th, 1936. That was her first trip from Southampton. She made a quick stopover in France before New York. And because she was a transatlantic liner, that's pretty much all she did. It was New York to Southampton, back and forth, back and forth. Remember, at the time, that's how you got from Europe to the United States, back and forth. You took a ship because airplanes just aren't doing it yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like Rebecca said, she I mean, she was a beautiful ship. She actually had, she had five dining rooms, cocktail bars, swimming pools, grand ballrooms. She had a, a squash court on board. She even had our own hospital on board the ship. So... She was the the top of her class at the time. Um, now, she did the transatlantic sailings for three years. So she did them from 1936 to the beginning of 1940 is when she actually did her transatlantic sailings. And like I said, being the popular ship at the time, the newest ship, the fastest ship out there for most of the time, uh, she carried a lot of big names. She carried Bob Hope, Clark Gable, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, uh, Winston Churchill sailed on her back and forth to the United States many times. Dwight D. Eisenhower sailed on her. Um, and she held the speed record for 14 years as being the fastest cruise ship to do the transatlantic sailing. I think we lost it to France. <laughs> yeah. Well, she held it for like two or three months at the beginning. France had it first with the Lusitania. And mm -hmm. then... Queen Mary took it, then like, I want to say it's like three or four months later, Lusitania actually took it back. And then a couple of years later, the Queen Mary got it and held it for 14 years. So she, she's had it for a long time. Now, in the beginning of World War II, um, there in September of 1939, that was the last time that she made the transatlantic sailing. Then she went from New York to Australia and actually was refitted to be a troop transport for World War II. So she, they took away her pretty black and white and red colors that she sailed with, at, you know, at the time, painted her all gray, stripped off all of her good stuff, and she actually became known as the Gray Ghost. And oh. she, she was awesome as a troop transport because she was so fast. Um, the wolf packs from Germany, the submarine attacks and stuff like that, could never catch her. So she was never caught. She was just too fast Isn't for all. Isn't there some rumor? There's like a rumor or a speculation that Hitler offered. 
yes. something to the troops, like for whoever could catch her. Yes, yeah. she had a bounty. Essentially, she had a bounty on her head the entire time during World War II for any submarine that could sink her. And so they tried, but yeah. they never could catch her. And she remained that way all the way through World War II. And she carried a lot. I mean, she went through and she ended up carrying a total of 810,000 military personnel back and forth. Jeez. Yeah, she did a lot of stuff. Carried a lot of people. She also did the War Bride uh, cruises Mm -hmm. afterwards. So, you know, a lot of the Americans and stuff met wives when they were in Europe. (laughs) Yeah. And in order to get all the wives and families back to the United States at the end of World War II, she did all the sailings to bring the families back to the United States. So, and it wasn't until July 21st of 1947 that she actually began to return back to passenger service. Was it during World War II that she got into the collision? Yes. Yep. I was actually going to talk about that. That was actually on April the 2nd, 1942. No, that's a good segue though. Um, (laughs) And it was kind of a, a freaky situation. So when you're trying to avoid submarines, cruise ships will do, or not cruise ships, Naval ships will do what's called the zigzag. So they change course and speed so that submarines can't get a good, like a good track on them to shoot torpedoes at them. Well, because she's so big and she's so fast, there was a cruiser. Uh, she was a light cruiser, the uh, Kirkokia, C-U-R-A-C-O-A. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but she cut in front of the Queen Mary and the Queen Mary sliced her in half. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts, just cut her straight in half like a knife through butter. But it did crush the front. There was a lot front. of casualties. Oh, the, the, the cruiser just went down. It was done. They, they were able to rescue some people from the cruiser, but because they were in a war zone and the Queen Mary had orders, you don't ever stop. So she couldn't even stop and help with the rescue. She had to hit the ship and keep on going. She was not even allowed to participate in any type of rescue. She had to go. Well, she was full. That's rough. You understand? She carried a couple hundred thousand troops on her at a time. She could carry, at the height, she could carry like five, six thousand troops at a time. So, a couple people, it sounds bad, but a couple people in the water were not considered to be as a high a priority as 500,000 troops that would have gone down with the Queen Mary. But other ships did rescue the survivors, they weren't just left in the water. Warships did the rescue, but the Queen Mary had to keep on trucking. <laughs> yeah, it ended up, it, it crushed her front end, her bow caved in, mm-hmm. and they had to patch her. It took 70 tons of cement. They patched it with cement, but it took 70 tons okay. of cement to put a temporary patch on the bow. Patching a ship with cement seems kind of, I don't know, I feel like making it too heavy, it would sink. You, you'd think, but that was the quickest and easiest solution they could do at the time to keep her in the war. And it would be a little while before she actually went in and her had her entire bow replaced. Hmm. Wow. So then like I said, then she returned to sailing in 1967. And then she continued to, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. She went back to sailing in 1947 and then continued to sail and do a transatlantic sailings till 1967. Okay. So she had she had a long run. Oh yeah, yeah. She 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 had a very long run, and 
at the end, the what killed her was air travel. Mm-hmm. As air travel became more popular, you could see the numbers for air travel go up as transatlantic air flights became more and more popular, quicker, faster, cheaper. Uh, the Queen Mary mm-hmm. became less about because she was at the time he was she was transportation. And so people could do the transportation cheaper and faster on an airplane. And so Queen Mary became less and less popular and Cunard began to lose money with her. Yeah. And when Cunard began to lose money, there was talk of selling and blah, 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 blah. Um, and eventually the plan became, became for Queen Mary to get docked into Long Beach, um, dry docked and closed. So, um, by the way, I've seen a bunch of really cool pictures. I don't know if you guys have seen them, but we'll post one on our Instagram too, uh, of the Queen Mary pulling into Long Beach and thousands of small ships came out to like escort her in. Um, the pictures are really cool. Yeah, I, but, I've seen those pictures. They were awesome though. Just the number of small ships, big ships, and everybody that was yeah. out there to welcome her to uh, California. It's really cool. I think that a lot of the like tradition with ships is really neat. Um, like I've also seen the Queen Mary two, so like them saluting each other. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. But in April of 1968, the Queen Mary was fitted for dry docking. So 90 of the hull openings were sealed. Three of the four propellers were, were removed. One of them was left on there because we'll talk about the museum later. But they um, kind of put like uh, an acrylic box over it. So you could see from the inside of the ship, you could see the propeller. Um, they The hull was stripped of the paint. It was repainted. And because the ship was getting turned into a museum, they gutted a lot of the ship. Uh, Most of the lower decks were gutted, the boiler rooms, the forward engine room, the generator rooms, all kinds of stuff was removed, uh, including the third class cabins, the second and third class restaurants. Um, The first class swimming pool was drained. It's still there, but it was drained. The Turkish baths were removed, the second class swimming pool. Every single crew cabin was destroyed. Um, This had to be done. I thought this was interesting. They had to lower bulldozers into the ship to clear all that stuff out. Um, and that whole thing cost more than half a million dollars. And later, when people kind of took a step back and looked at everything, a lot of people think it's kind of, it was like a devastating loss. Like, Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I think it was yeah. an utter mistake they, that they did that. That was a terrible mistake. They wanted to turn it into a museum, but like they had a museum. They could have just dry doctor and let people walk through. It would have been really cool, but they gutted it. Um, well, they've ended up the, 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 the bottom decks are now like office space mm-hmm, or like storage. Some of them. Right. And because it's a hotel now, so they have their offices and stuff are down where some of the engine room compartments can be. Some of the restaurants are down lower other than, you know, the main dining room and some spaces down mm-hmm. there. They refurbished them, but yeah, they took out what made the Queen Mary, the Queen Mary, in my opinion, they took out her heart. They took out the history. Yeah. Right. Um, one thing I didn't know, I thought it was kind of interesting was that the funnels or the stacks. Um, so if you guys aren't familiar with cruise ships, you know, like the Titanic has those black stacks on top of it. Um, but when they went to go take them off, they crumbled. Um, they were taking them off so they could access the ship, but they, yeah, they crumbled. So they've actually been replaced on the current ship. They're like replicas. Um, 
But the initial plan for the ship as it sat in Long Beach was to turn the ship into a museum called the Living Sea Museum, which was curated by Jacques Cousteau. The museum opened in December of 71, but they didn't finish it before they opened it. So only a quarter of the planned exhibits were opened and it closed not that long after within the same decade. Um, There was a lack of ticket sales and also, interestingly and disgustingly, um, it was like a it was an ocean life museum. So there was fish and stuff like that. And apparently, a lot of the fish were dying. Yeah, well, it has a tendency to get hot inside a big metal container like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Who would have thought? So that didn't work out. While that was going on, while the Museum of the Sea was in there. They also had, in November of 72, the PSA Hotel Queen Mary, PSA is just like the company that was owning it at the time, um, open to the public with its first 150 rooms. Within two years, that grew to 400 rooms. And, but by 1980, it was becoming obvious that this kind of like system wasn't working. The museum was owned by one company the hotel was owned by a different company the onboard like specialty restaurants were run by a different company the ship itself was managed by the city it was like too many chefs not enough pots there was way too many hands in the pot um so the city kind of came up with this plan that a local millionaire named jack rather uh, he had like memories on the ship he'd sailed on it with his wife before he was fond of the queen mary so he took on the role of the operator of the ship with his company, which was Rather Port Companies. Uh, he managed it for a couple years, and then after he passed away, his company kept managing the ship until 1988, when it was purchased by none other than Walt Disney. And again, stuff I had no idea, but so the ship was never marketed as a Disney property. It was never like an attraction, anything like that. But there were plans to turn the area into something called Port Disney. Port Disney was supposed to be like a resort with an ocean theme park called Disney Sea. There was supposed to be a cruise ship port there, which sounds fucking awesome. It does, <laughs> yeah. Well, Walt Disney uh, had had the dream of cruise ships long before Disney's first cruise yeah. ship ever came out. They even chartered a cruise line for a couple of years to sail Disney cruises. It just wasn't Disney-themed. You could just do it through Disney. But yeah, no, Walt always had the idea of cruise ships. That was one of his things. Huh. And that's why he loved water, too. I read that as a fun fact. Like, Walt Disney loved, like, the idea of, like, the ocean. That's why a lot of, like, the old-time, like, Mickey Mouse, they were always on, like, riverboats and steamboats. And, like, that's why it was because that was kind of Walt's, like, big thing was just ocean and water. Yeah, so he, he always wanted it. He just didn't quite come out the way he wanted it at that time. Yeah. Uh, Disney did put the plans for Port Disney kind of on the back burner uh, so they could advance with building the California Adventure Park. But fun fact, the idea of Port Disney was used in Japan, and there's a park called Tokyo Disney Sea. So there is an ocean-themed Disney park. It's just not in the United States. <laughs> It didn't turn Uh, out to be the one he wanted. (laughs) Yeah, no. When Disney decided that they weren't going to proceed with Port Disney, the Hotel Queen Mary closed in December of 92. And in 93, while it was closed, the ship was placed on the National Register of Historic Places and sold back to the city. Since then, the ship has gone through like 
quite a few owners. I'll kind of rapid fire through them here. Um, in 1993, the RMS Foundation managed the property as a hotel and a banquet facility until 95, when Queens Seaport Development Incorporated took over under a 66-year lease. They added some fun stuff like the Tibby's Great American Cabaret, which was a full working dinner theater, and that is where the ship's bank used to be. Um, but they ran into financial issues, which is like a recurring theme here. And in 2007, the lease was sold to a group called Save the Queen. They did some cool stuff during their ownership, like they modernized the rooms, they added in flat screen TVs, iPod docking stations. They repainted, renovated the kitchens, repaired the lifeboats because they were like crumbling outside, basically. And they managed to ship until 2009. And then Delaware North Companies took over until 2011. And then Garrison Investments took over. While they owned it, they also used the ship for some cool stuff. I thought this was really cool. But it was used as a venue for the Long Beach Derby Gals Roller Derby team, which is neat. That's actually pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in 2016, a real estate company called Urban Commons took over the lease. Um, and actually Carnival Cruise helps with some of this. And it's kind of interesting, but Carnival Cruise has actually been involved also kind of since the beginning. But they help in some of the areas because they have a nearby cruise terminal. Mm-hmm. But Urban Commons has said they plan a massive renovation and rehaul of the entire ship. But that massive renovation and rehaul is going to cost over half a billion dollars. So they put a pause on that back in 2017 when an inspection of the ship determined that the hull and the supports of the ship were corroding and it was at risk for flooding and maybe even sinking. So that's expensive. Um, They told the city and the city fixed some stuff. It cost a couple million dollars. In 2019, the ship was re-inspected. But even after some of the fixes they'd made in the 2019 reinspection, the engineer who did it, his name was Edward Probonik, he said the ship was in the worst state that he'd seen in his 25 years of experience. He found basically the people that owned the ship or that were leasing the ship were doing like landlord specials. When stuff would break, they were putting like duct tape on it, uh, painting over stuff yeah, that shouldn't be painting over the over. cracks in the wall. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they found standing water in parts of the ship. They found paint that was peeling off. Just all kinds of, like, misrepairs. So the city of Long Beach warned them in 2019, hey, you guys, when you took over the lease, you promised you were going to upkeep the ship. So if you don't do that, you're going to default on this 66-year lease. It's going to be crazy. So Urban Commons said, hey, like, we'll fix it. But 2020, as we all know, the entire world basically stopped. Um, because of that COVID-19 pandemic, and the Queen Mary was not an exception to that. The ship was closed in May of 2020, and during the pandemic, Urban Commons went bankrupt. So the city of Long Beach ended up taking back over in 2021. The ship was inspected again when the city took over, and it was determined that the ship needed $23 million in urgent safety repairs just to stay afloat. Um, So that's not even considering like all the cosmetic stuff and all those landlord specials that's just urgent stuff the city has since put in several million dollars into the ship they've performed some much needed repairs which they are still working on but the ship did reopen to the public in april of this year so you can still visit the queen mary um i think they've saved it from sinking they're not gonna let the ship sink but 
you can still visit the Queen Mary today. She's a hotel, a historical landmark, an event venue. You can do tours. There's like ghost stuff to do. It's a, it sounds really cool. I would actually really like to go. Yeah, that is one place that I've personally always wanted to go. Um, I saw an episode of Ghost Hunters. That was like my second favorite episode of Ghost Hunters was the, <laughs> was the Queen Mary. Like they did so many cool things. They debunked a couple of things and like they, uh, it was such a good episode. Ah, so good. Um, so High Seas Cruising, would you guys like to tell us about how the ship currently is to this day? Absolutely. Well, like Rebecca said, she she's in she's got some rough spots. She's yeah. in rough shape. Do you guys remember a ship in general, especially if it's become a museum ship, they are it's recommended that they're actually dry docked, taken completely out of the water at minimum of every 20 years. Okay? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because of the hull. Uh, a really good example is if you're familiar with any of the ships, the USS Texas, which is a World War One battleship, she's currently out of the water down here in Texas in dry dock. <laughs> it took her so long to get out of the water, she's going to be in dry dock for like a year and a half. Oh, wow. Dang. Right, because they have to actually replace her entire hull on the outside. And it costs millions and millions of dollars to do that. In the case of the Queen Mary, because there, there was a consideration just go ahead and scrap her. That she was losing money, it was going to cost so much money to fix her that scrapping her became an option. But it would actually cost more money to scrap her at this point than it would be to fix her. Because she's landlocked in and she's not even considered a ship anymore. The U.S. Coast Guard... It's a building. Right, yeah. The U.S. Coast Guard has declassified her from ship... And she is now classified as a building because her engines are gone. All of her controls are gone. Her propulsion's gone. They filled her ballast tanks with mud to keep her upright. Because if you don't know, cruise ships, all that heavy stuff goes on the bottom for a reason. It helps with stability. So you can imagine if they didn't do all that stuff and then they take all that machinery out and let her go, there's a chance she's going to flop over on her side. Because she is now completely out of balance. Yeah, they did. They did. They did her wrong when they gutted her. She's down to one engine room, and the uh, propeller shaft is pretty much all of her actual original mechanics and machinery is even left on board. As far as that stuff yeah. goes down there, so yeah, at this even point, it's cheaper to fix stuff. her. But how they're going to fix that hull? That's going to be interesting because she is in the water. Yeah, and to really fix and repair hull unless you're kind of patching it up from the inside you almost have to take her out of the water yeah but that red i don't know that would cost it almost seems like they're using it as like a marketing ploy because not like a ploy but i've seen a lot of like oh now's your chance to visit the queen mary because she might be sinking like maybe they're leaning into it a little bit too no they're they're probably not like i said she's been wet in that spot since 1967 and she's metal metal corrodes that's true so she is mm-hmm. getting thin that, that that she wasn't built like sure? heavily armored or anything either so it's not you know, an inch thick or a foot thick, like you would see on warships that are museums. And I'm sure all the construction they did too was like taking all the rooms out and like bringing down third class and like building and rebuilding. And I'm sure that did not help the structure at all. Actually, that has very little to do with the structure 
of cruise ships, honestly, especially nowadays. If you actually watch a cruise ship today, yeah, back then it was different, but like today they're they're put together like Legos. All of the cabins are like piece actually piece by piece, huh? Piece by piece, like piece by piece. Yeah, if you actually watch it, all of the cabins are pre-built, prefabbed, everything on shore, and then individually they're just plugged in. So the structure of the ship. Yeah, so the structure of the ship and the actual, you know, hull and keel and all that kind of stuff, the, all that's in there actually, they'll build the bow, the middle section. They're all built separately, not even necessarily in the same spot. Then they're all brought together and hmm. welded together. So the, I guess that makes sense, but... Yeah, I'd they're essentially put together like that. Legos. Now, back then, they were, it was all done in one spot in one location because they didn't have the, hmm. the current technology that they have. But Interesting. as long as the metal bulkheads and the supports are all still there, they would have to be. The ship's integrity is okay if they take out those rooms. Hmm. And a lot of that lower space was pretty big open space with the machinery. What it really threw off was the weight. Because now she's completely out of balance if they were to actually clean out any of that stuff that they pumped into her. It's crazy that their best fix was to fill it with mud. Yeah, in 1967, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, when the fair. when the Texas started sinking here in uh, in Houston, they filled it full of uh, expanding foam. So that's very Texan. <laughs> it works though; it's lightweight and it floats. So huh. it made sense yeah. in the case of the Queen Mary. They didn't want her to move. They didn't want her to shift. They needed her to stay even keel. So filling her full of mud. Keeps the weight even. So it actually made sense, but but I'm sure there's some science behind it, but my little pea brain just doesn't understand why like the concrete or filling it with mud, like putting all the heavy stuff in wouldn't make it sink. <laughs> I don't I, I can't understand. They believe it or not, a ship like that is actually pretty hard to sink. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's it's a precarious situation where like any moment she can go down, <laughs> you know, you've got to force these things to sink. You know, even if you look at the Titanic, she had a giant hole ripped down her side and her design was less than ideal because water could go over the watertight doors. Right. So she sank by the time they did the queen Mary, you know, a, a hole in the side of a ship nowadays won't sink a ship. You know, you've got they to... learned their lesson. Right. You have to have a magnitude of problems for a ship just to arbitrarily sink. I can't think of, in like recent times, the the last time a cruise ship sank. Karkovia. Or a big ship. I was going to say, wasn't there the Italian ship that like went on its side? Yep. It was, was Carnival's. Yep. It, was that recent? A few years ago, I think. Yeah, it's been a few years now, but yeah, she... Slightly sank and then rolled over onto her side. And the water was, like, shallow enough that, like, some of the boat was still out of the water, but it was technically considered sank because of, like, how much was underwater. But that wasn't, again, that wasn't a design flaw by the ship. That was straight up a screw-up by that captain. Yeah. He was charges pressed against him, too? Oh, multitude. Uh, Well, not only that, he abandoned his ship. He abandoned his crew. Which is 
a big no-no. Like, I'm not into, I mean, I'm into cruise ships and stuff, but I know, like, the number one thing, a captain never abandons his ship, ever. No, when they started, uh, before even all the passengers were off, the crew was off, that dude hopped off, jumped in a lifeboat, and tried to escape. They forced him back onto his ship. Not only that, the only reason that ship even happened is he had his girlfriend on board, on the bridge, and he was essentially, oh, here, let me get closer to the shore so you can see better, honey, and rammed it into rocks. What an asshole. Oh, straight, straight his fault. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm assuming there was, like, casualties. Like, people died because of him. Yeah. But yeah, when you're talking purely the ship, they put some float box blocks on it, righted the ship up, and actually pulled it out of there. She didn't even sink all the way. So cruise ship designs are really good. But I know this is supposed to be, we're supposed to be talking about paranormal, okay, and all the paranormal yeah. stuff that goes on the ship. So I got a paranormal oh, yeah. something for you guys. And I found this oh, to be so really interesting about this. So when the ship was actually launched in 1934, okay, so way, 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 before she even made her first sailing, there was a well-known English psychic, okay, and let me get her name right. It was Lady Mabel Fortuse Harrison, okay, Okay. and she made the prediction in 1934, uh, the Queen Mary will know her greatest fame and popularity when she never sails another mile or carries another fair-paying passenger. And she, Interesting. And she made that prediction in 1934, and more people have been on board the Queen Mary since she was docked in Long Beach than ever was on board while she was making transatlantic sailings. That is really cool. That is so cool. So I thought that would kind of fit in real good with the show's theme that she was actually predicted that she was going to be where she is today. That's really neat. Um, Perfect segue. Also, we can't have a Queen Mary episode without discussing. Is it really the world's most haunted ship? So the ship is certainly no stranger to tragedy. As we discussed, she did have one collision with a pretty significant death toll. Um, as far as like spirits go, they the, those people did not perish aboard the Queen Mary. But, you know, believe what you want about ghosts and stuff. That's still some pretty negative energy associated with the ship. But is she um, the most haunted ship in the world? I'll be honest. After doing some research, I don't think so. There were 47 reported deaths on board. And it's rumored that there's as many as 150 ghosts on board the ship. So let's talk about some of the infamous hauntings and or ghosts. So probably the most haunted area of the ship is stateroom B340. This is a room that all, everyone who goes, all the ghost adventures and the influencers and everyone stays in the stateroom. Um, The stateroom was torn down previously or like, closed off previously and then renovated and it's been reopened since i'm thinking probably because they make good money by people staying there because it's spooky yeah but the story here i have seen different stories the one that i could verify is that in 1948 a british passenger named walter adamson passed away in the room from unknown causes I have also heard a story, I cannot verify it by newspapers, by anything else, 
that a family was staying in the stateroom and it was two little girls, a mom and a dad, and the dad killed all of them and then shot himself in the room. I don't know how true that is, if that's just like spooky lore. Um, but people who stay in the room report waking up to feeling the bed covers being pulled off of them, seeing a figure standing at the foot of their bed. They hear knocking, lights turning on and off, um, the, the bathroom's connected. So people say they hear water running, the toilet flushing, even when the bathroom's empty, all kinds of creepy stuff. The temperature changes and all the stuff you see in the ghost shows. So that is, that's stateroom B340. Can I pop in here for one second? Of course. So Ghost Hunters, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, which, like I said, my favorite show of like all time, um, they went to the Queen Mary and they had a camera set up in this room. And this was like the greatest plot twist of reality TV ever. So they set up a camera to record. They were doing their, they were doing like their whatever. They went back to record all the interview or like look at all the um, evidence. And so they saw a bed cover be pulled off and they were like, that was mind-blowing well what someone did the tech guy was like wait something's not right someone had snuck in paused the camera rolled back the sheet press play press pause again rolled it off again and they were able to like catch that and then also they had also um talking about like weird plumbing well the two main guys up taps were plumbers so they checked all of the plumbing on the queen mary for free and they're like everything's kind of fine with the plumbing i don't think it's that so they did their due diligence, but like the um, they also had said in this room that even though they the bed covers was weird, that they did get two EVPs and also like a dramatic cold spike. So there is some weird stuff in that room. There is, and a lot. The thing about the Queen Mary is like all of the hot spots for paranormal activity. There's not really much to tie back to it. Like um, another area of the ship that is probably the most famous for paranormal activity is the first class swimming pool like i mentioned the first class swimming pool it's still there but it's empty um and people say they hear and see stuff there all the time there's several ghosts that are seen here often reportedly um so there's supposed to be a woman in a tennis skirt a woman in a wedding dress there's a little girl in a blue dress um there is no deaths reported in the pool in the history of the ship, in the first class pool in the history of the ship. But again, I've seen a report. I'm not sure if it's true. I couldn't really verify it. That a woman was sexually assaulted and murdered in the changing rooms near the pool. Um, but I've seen a couple of different like, you know, ghost tours and stuff. And there's one where they're near the pool and there's a little girl. I can't remember her name, but one of the go- the little girl ghosts, has, she's named but they put out like a teddy bear to try and get her to talk. And then one of the people doing the thing says, oh, do you want candy? Do you like candy? And then you can hear a little girl's voice go, candy. I remember that. I remember that. So there's been stuff where they have caught things on EVP. They have heard voices. There are cold spikes and things like that. Uh, but there's not really been a ton of death aboard the ship. See, I heard that you can see wet footprints wet by the footprints. pool. That's the yeah. one I hear and see. But the pool's empty. The the pool, yeah, the pool is supposed to be like a hot spot. There's another um, spirit that people allegedly see all the time. His name is Grumpy <laughs> something. But people say they smell cigarette smoke. And then they hear like coughing or they hear snarling, and it's supposed to be this guy that hangs out by the first class pool. 
no idea. Um, arguably the most famous death on board of the Queen Mary, however, was 18-year-old crew member John Petter. So he was actually crushed in the door of hatch 13. And he was a crew member. He was working down in the engine rooms. So guests on the ship claim to hear someone running up behind them whistling. Um, some guests some guests have said that they've even bumped into a bearded young man who looks like he's from a different time, wearing his blue coveralls, asking if anyone has seen his wrench. Hmm. Um, there's There were, however, some mysterious deaths on board. Most of the deaths were like natural causes. Um, the ship was sailing during like, you know, several health crises, things like that. But there were a couple that I was like, what the fuck? So a young man died on board after drinking what he thought was gin, but it really turned out to be cleaning fluid. And allegedly, again, I can't really find out if this one is true or not. Either way, it's a creepy rumor. But allegedly during the wartime sailings, we kind of touched on it. During the wartime sailings, she was packed. There was like way over capacity of service members on board and they took out some of the amenities and they had people like hot bunking. Um, yeah, the bunks were like stacked four high. Bed. Four and five high. Yeah, four and five high. And then they people still, some people still had to share. Um, so it, it was packed. And apparently this kind of drove them a little crazy, which it would drive me a little crazy. But allegedly during the wartime sailings, the galley crew locked a chef in his own oven and roasted him alive. Possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, guests continue to visit the ship and continue to allegedly have these supernatural experiences. I haven't been on board. Uh, I would love for any of our listeners, if you guys have been on board, let us know. Did you experience any creepy stuff? Was it cool? Now, have either one of you been on the Queen Mary? No, we haven't sailed out of California yet. I mean, we do a lot of cruises each year. We haven't sailed out of California yet, but the Queen Mary is right there by the Long Beach Terminal. So it would be for us a very convenient place to stay pre-cruise. So if we do go that way, that is definitely where we plan to stay. You know, not because I I necessarily believe I'm going to see something creepy, but the pure historical value and enjoyment I would get out of seeing the ship, I think is worth it right there. Yeah, I, I think I just want to do, like, a creepy California tour now and do, like, Alcatraz <laughs> and the Queen Mary and Death Valley. Yeah, Alcatraz oh, I would some... love to do. Me too. Alcatraz is amazing. Because that's our next episode. It. It's our, spoiler alert, it's our next episode, and it's going to be such a good one. Yeah. Now, I'm not a huge believer in the paranormal. I know it's a paranormal show, but I am a huge believer in history. So, the history of the Queen <laughs> Mary, the history of Alcatraz... All that would get my attention right there and make me want to go see all But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little skeptical because just, you know, today, modern times, it's not uncommon to have three or 400 people die on cruise ships every year. That's common. And it's natural cause type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, some facts about cruise ships that people may not know that's kind of could be considered creepy, but these cruise ships have morgues on board. They have a morgue on all these ships. It's a requirement now. Got to have a place to take these bodies. Well, more and more older folks are using these cruise ships as retirement. Yeah, it's cheaper. it's cheaper. 
So having morgues on board and having deaths on board is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to have to go there and see and see if anybody does anything, but see if, see if we hear any weird noises. Something, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, something touched my leg. And then I peed my pants. <laughs> Which is I what mean, I seem to I see mean. on the shows. <clears throat> Not to be, you know, like a Debbie Downer. I do think a lot of these very famous places it's easy to market like, oh, come stay on this haunted ship. You can come stay overnight in the haunted stateroom. It is a good promotional Marketing. tool. <clears throat> and it makes me want to go. <laughs> and yeah, and people will go and see it. And it's, I mean, look at all the cities that have ghost tours, nighttime ghost tours, famous ghost tours. Mm-hmm. And they can put it to New events. Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans. Period. New Orleans, capital. Did I do like three of them? Yes. Do I care? No. Like they capitalize <laughs> on their haunted history and lucky for me, but like even most of the, like the, not the mansions, what's the word? Um, plantations. Like mm-hmm. almost all of them had day regular tours and night haunted tours. And then like areas of Katrina, they had day tours and then haunted night tours. Like they just, yes. and I did almost all of them. So ask me anything. <laughs> That's what I'm, saying. I'm not saying like it's not haunted. I tend to believe more like less in like spirits and ghosts and more in just like the energy associated with the place. I do think yeah. a place can have like weird energy or like negative energy. So when people die somewhere, there's probably going to be like some weird energy, but I don't think it's like the most haunted ship in the world, especially when you consider all the warships. Mm-hmm. That have seen some shit. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, if you take warships out of the picture, if I had to pick a haunted ship, and we'll never know for sure, but if I had to pick a haunted ship, I would say the Titanic. Yeah, 100%. That That area in the Atlantic alone. If I was going to pick haunted ships, that would be the haunted ship, because you know all the stories of the third-class passengers that couldn't even get out Mm-hmm. and up to the top deck to even get off the ship. They were trapped in there. So if you're talking about energy, that had to have been some bad energy and some people are scared and frightened and, and they're drowning and they're dying. Titanic would be the one. Lots of bad energy. Yeah, lots of bad energy in the Titanic. So if I pick the most haunted ship, not counting military warships. True. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, very fair. <laughs> it would have to be because, you know, those are suddenly, you just, you're going along and you explode. That's a whole yeah. unfortunate other animal. But yeah. I got a question for you guys. Okay. I'm excited. You look at the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary was painted black and white. Do you guys know why she was painted black? Because if you look at cruise ships today, they're painted white. You know why the Queen Mary was painted black instead of a white? I told you already. You already told me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let Justice take this one. I I feel like I know the answer you're gonna say. I'm like, oh my god, I did know that because I used to love like all like the tit- I was a Titanic girly through and through, so I read so much about cruise <laughs> ships. Um, wasn't it um, to detract? Wasn't it like a camouflage thing? Kind of. They were coal fired at the time. They used coal as their fuel. Coal makes a lot of dust, and you actually put the coal in on the side of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they painted it black so it wouldn't look as dirty. Smart. Yeah, versus... They also paint some ships black because it blended with cannons, so enemies couldn't tell if it was, like, a cruise ship or, like, a defense ship? Um, As far as the military goes, they actually used to paint them for pretty abstract looking. 
to yeah. make to make them mimic different colors of waves. Sort of like blues and grays and in different colors like that in weird patterns and shapes. I didn't know that. I assumed all the warships were that ugly gray color. Yeah, in World War II, if you actually go look at some of them, some of them got some pretty weird abstract huh. patterns. It was all to confuse periscopes and make them look more like water and everything like that. But yeah, that's why uh, mm-hmm. ocean liners at the time were painted black and white. That is very cool. Um, and I guess just for like a quick tie up in the histor- like historical stuff before we're done, the Cunard White Star Line, Cunard did end up buying out their portion and now it's just the Cunard Line again. And I want to say they're associated with Carnival now. Yeah, they're currently known as it's Cunard a- Cruise Line. Yeah. Um, and they are owned by the Carnival Corporation. It's like Carnival UK, right? No, it's Carnival Corporation. Carnival Corporation is the largest uh, cruise ship owner in the world. They own Carnival Cruise Line, Princess, Holland America, uh, P&O, P&O Australia. They, they own them all. Costa. Hmm. They're one of the big ones. So their parent-parent company is Carnival. Cru- is Carnival. Yeah, Carnival Corporation. Okay. Very cool. I can't wait to add this to the list of places that we need to visit, Rebecca. This sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, our list is getting ridiculous. We're going to have to <laughs> find a way to make this a tax write-off. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? <laughs> Perfect guest to have on. Well, this is what you guys ought to do. And you know what? I- I- I'll even say it. For anybody watching this video, put in the comments the kind of story you want them to talk about. If you know a spooky place or a spooky story... I mean, I could go in and probably top five or six that I know from Texas, like down in Galveston, uh, the murder, the the member of the murder house down in Galveston, uh, places like that. So, yeah, if you guys know some good places, something you guys want to do, put it in the comments. Let's give them some ideas. Let's keep them running on the show as long as we possibly can. We'll come visit us and go to the Magnolia Hotel. Yeah, I would love to go back to the Minger, too. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's the all elements. kinds of places that are haunted, you know, and have haunted mm-hmm. stories behind them that would be cool just to go, okay, are we really going to feel something here? Yeah. We're going to start our own ghost adventures, so. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that that's where we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, everyone who listened. Thank you so much, High Seas Cruising, for taking the time to come join us today, getting a little spookier than your usual content (laughs) thank you so much again for having uh for coming on our show we so appreciate it and just as a reminder we are putting links to where we you can find high seas cruising in the description box below and of course our own links including our awesome new merch we can't wait to talk to you guys next week